Herod's temple in Jerusalem took 46 years to build. The stones were so massive, they were larger than length of two of these pews. Massive stones from every conceivable way of thinking. There was nothing more indestructible than the temple in Jerusalem. And yet Jesus said, truly I say to you, not one stone we left but another. Each one will be cast down. In our text in Mark, earlier in Mark 4, 35 to 41, you met, you're met, we're met with what seems to be so fragile, so easily lost in the sea as the disciples are caught in this massive storm. And we learn in these two texts what is really the nature of indestructibility. Now our text in Matthew 4 where Jesus calms the storm, really falls in three parts. Uh, Jesus and disciples in the storm. Uh, Jesus calming the storm. And the disciples' reaction to Jesus calming the storm. Now, like you, I've heard many sermons on this passage, but I've only heard sermons on part two and part three. Jesus calming the storm, and the disciples' reaction to Jesus calming the storm. But tonight, for this baccalaureate service, I want to focus on not Jesus calming the storm, but Jesus' calmness in the storm. The first part of this passage, the most neglected part, Jesus asleep in the boat. Now, I'm going to show in the overhead here, we have a picture of what is called, if you've been to Jerusalem, you'll see this, this is actually in the Galilee area, called the Jesus Boat. Uh, we don't actually believe that this was the very one, but it is a first century shipping boat, a fishing boat, that was been brought up and been uh, reconstructed. You can see what one of these ships looked like. Uh, these ships were, you can see, about uh, 30, 40 feet long, uh, 10 or 12 feet wide, and you have the disciples of Jesus uh, and Jesus in this boat, and Jesus is asleep. Now, I say that the focus tonight is to ask, in what way is Jesus asleep in the midst of this storm? And let me just say it more properly from Mark's gospel, in the midst of storms. Because actually, he's asleep in the midst of at least four different storms. There's a storm that we're obviously well aware of, which is the storm in the Sea of Galilee, which comes up, and these are mighty storms that can come over those mountains, hit the water, and in no time, you can be caught into a serious squall on the Sea of Galilee, a swamp, and even frighten seasoned fishermen. They're in that storm. But also in Mark's Gospel, we already find in the first chapter of Mark, actually, that the whole forces of the demonic world are already arrayed against Jesus. Hosts of evil saying, you know, what do, we, what do you want to do with us? There's all of this challenge in the demonic world already in chapter 1. The third storm is that he is facing the, the force of all the religious leaders, Pharisees and Sadducees. Who is this who eats with sinners? All of that comes from the religious leaders and then finally, the fourth storm are the political leaders, the Herodians, already plotting to kill Jesus in chapter 3, verse 6. Now, just to put this in perspective, 
By the time that the Pharisees and, and the, meet with the Herodians to plot to kill Jesus, in chapter 3, verse 6, that is the 79th verse in Mark's Gospel. If you go compare it to the 79th verse in Luke's Gospel, Jesus is not yet even born. <laughs> and here he is in Mark's Gospel, they're already plotting his death. So here is Jesus, everything seems to be plotting against him. The host of hell, evil spirits, Pharisees, teach the law, Herodians, yea, even creation itself seems to have joined the opposition to swamp and destroy the Son of God. So here's Jesus, storms and storms within storms, and he's asleep in the back of the boat. And as the storm pitch gets higher, the disciples begin to look fervently at one another, and they themselves are quite frightened, and they kept looking at Jesus. How can he sleep through this? How can he sleep through this? Should we awaken him? The storm gets higher, and eventually they decide to wake him up. They shake him up, and I, and I love the way the text brings us into the kind of the urgency. Master, don't you care that we're going to drown? And Jesus awakens in perfect peace. He doesn't jump up and appoint a committee to solve this problem. <laughs> he doesn't set forth any kind of task force. He doesn't start shouting, bail water. Jesus, when they ask him, do you have any cares? He's like, I have no cares in the world. Think about it. Now, this is, the, I mean, the entire church of Jesus Christ is in this boat, or at least the seminary graduates. <laughs> These are all of you in the boat. I've been a little, a little frantic. But Jesus is in perfect peace. You see, we live also in the midst of so many storms in our own lives. We too live in the midst of personal storms, things that we, our own trajectory of life, the way we thought things would unfold, and suddenly we're caught in unexplainable situations that create personal agony. We're in the midst of many cultural storms, too many to mention tonight, but you know them all. We're in the midst of global storms. Ukraine itself is enough to bring to mind one example. And yet, in this, all these storms, Jesus is in perfect peace. Jesus has no fear of the dissolution of the church. He is not afraid of fearing our diminution, our, our demise in any way. In fact, I want to give you tonight a definition of the church that you may not get in church history class. But I think a good definition of the church might be this. The church is the community of those united to the indestructibility of Christ. The church is the community of those united to the indestructibility of Christ. Great buildings will fall down. Great empires will fall down, but Jesus Christ is the great singularity of the universe. Amen? Amen? He's the first, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus Christ is the anchor which will drive the church. I believe that we obviously think about all the times in, for example, the book of Jonah, where you have Jonah asleep inside the whale, 
And God, I'm sorry, inside the ship, in the middle of that same storm, big storm, and out of that storm, he's there out of fear, but God takes Jonah, puts him inside that great fish, he comes out of the fish and preaches to the nations. And the New Testament does not remember Jonah as one who fled from God. That's how we talk about it. The New Testament says that Jonah actually is a sign of Christ himself who went into the belly of the world, the belly of the earth, and came out resurrected to preach the gospel. Jonah was a type of Christ. We are at a time where we too need to wake up and once again seize what it means for Christ to be in us and proclaim his word again to the world. When I was uh, a young person, I was a very big follower of the writings of Jimmy Buckingham. And I, I, I just loved his books and his writings. And so when I was, uh, went to university, I got to know his daughter. And so when the time came, she became, fell in love with one of my fellow classmates. And she invited me to, uh, they both invited me to come down and be a part of the wedding. I couldn't believe it. I was going to meet Jamie Buckingham. And so we drove for hours and hours to get down there, down to Melbourne, Florida. And he, they said to us, now, you know, by the time we got down there, it would be about 2 o'clock in the morning. He said, you know what? Uh, don't wake us up. Just come in. The door, back door will be open. Uh, go in. We're on the left will be a bedroom for you. The light will be on. Just make your night there, and we'll see you in the morning. So sure enough, we got there, walked across the St. Augustine grass. You know, this is Florida. Squish, 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 squish. We get there, and there's the little door there. Light was on. We go in. Throw our bags down on the bed. Well, then I couldn't help. I went across to get cleaned up in the bathroom, and I noticed next door to our room was Jimmy Buckingham's office. I couldn't resist. <laughs> I, could, I tiptoed into the office, and there, I didn't even turn the light on. The moonlight was shining into the office, and it was shining on his typewriter. Now, if you're under 30, let me explain. <laughs> a typewriter is a really remarkable piece of technology. You could push a button, and it would correspond to this amazing rod that would come up, and an ink would come up at just the right time and strike, and you could type. It was amazing. Amazing thing. You should go find one sometime. But there was his typewriter upon which he had written all of these books. And as I sat there and looked at the typewriter, thinking of the books he had written on that typewriter, I noticed he had taped onto the typewriter uh, in, in a you know, piece of paper a little saying which said this, Attempt something so big that unless God intervenes, it's bound to fail. Attempt something so big that unless God intervenes, it's bound to fail. I just pray that our graduates, they go out with knowledge, they go out with so much, but there's nothing more important than to carry forth the power of Jesus in us. We have nothing to fear. We have everything to hope for. The problem with our world is not that we have too much stress, but too little hope. We don't realize what we have by being united to Jesus Christ. And I pray that as we go forth, and that tomorrow is a big day for all of us, that we'll go forth in the power and the anointing of the risen Christ, because in his hands 
this world can be changed, people will be redeemed, and the gospel will go forth to the ends of the earth. Amen. Amen.